This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses AMVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AmvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the AMVA community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I'm here with Joseph Derzhevsky. He is the Vice President of Research and Scientific Affairs with the National Sleep Foundation, because we're going to talk about drowsy driving. Joe, welcome to the AmvaCast. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. We're excited. We're, we're airing this today, which is the, the, the start of or the second day of Drowsy Driving Prevention Week. Which it's a mouthful, is, right? It, it is a mouthful, but you know, <laughs> yeah. it's the connection between our community and yes. um, the National Sleep Foundation, which we'll also talk about. Yes. But let's start with the crossover. Okay. Drowsy Driving. Yes. Give me the context of the challenge and the problem of drowsy driving and the, the risks and the impacts of crashes and fatalities. Yeah, no, great, great leading, you know, beginning question. I think the first thing, the very first thing, the most important thing that everyone walks away with is that drowsy driving is impaired driving. Mm. Just like drunk driving, just like distracted driving, mm-hmm. and just like drug driving. We think of it as the fourth D okay. of the problematic driving scenarios. Um, Drowsy driving, from our best evidence, results in somewhere around 100,000 motor vehicle accidents per year in the U.S. Mm. And it's hard to really pin an accident on someone being drowsy. So there's a lot of people out there that actually think that the problem is much larger, probably around Mm. 300,000 motor vehicle accidents a year. We also know more than 6,000 fatalities in the U.S. alone per year resulting from drowsy driving. Mm. So it's a rather large problem that is preventable, right? Yeah. You don't have to drive drowsy. Yeah. And so you have a particular campaign, Sleep First, Driver Alert, Preventing Drowsy Driving. Um, Let's talk about the key messages in the education that you want to get out. And, you know, on one hand, it sounds so simple. If you're too hired, too tired, don't get behind the wheel. But clearly it's not that simple. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it makes sense in, in, in pure layman's terms, yeah. right? Tired, don't drive. Um, we prefer to go with the opposite, sleep first, because we are the National Sleep Foundation, <laughs> okay. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sleep first, drive alert. Mm-hmm. Probably for one of the reasons is that sleeping is something most people enjoy to do, right? Mm. Most people like it. Most people like to wake up and feel refreshed. And so. yet, so few of us get enough of it, oh, it which is. I'm sure we're going to get into as well. But a huge I problem, I don't want right? to jump there yet. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a huge problem, yeah. a huge problem. As you noted, our campaign this year, the slogan is Sleep First, Drive Alert. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually our 15th year running Drowsy Driving Prevention Week. Mm-hmm. So we've built up this kind of cadre of information and resources and things like this. But we can talk about the warning signs of drowsy, dry, drowsy driving. Uh, things to do if you're experiencing drowsy driving, ways to maybe proactively prevent the problem, mm-hmm. um, and we can talk about general tips and tricks. Let's to, go through to them. So let's so let's start at the the first one you said is I think the the signs of the warning signs. The warning signs. Yeah. The warning signs. I kind of break them down into two categories, yeah. right? You have the warning signs that you're just tired in general, mm-hmm. right? Nothing to do with being behind the wheel, but but they still apply when you're behind the wheel. If you're blinking more often than you usually are eyelids are feeling a little heavy, you're, you're doing that, you know, yawning over mm-hmm, and over, mm-hmm. your head feels heavy, you're a little bit more distractible. These are all general warning signs that you're probably tired, that mm-hmm. you're probably a little drowsy. 
Now, specifically when you're behind the wheel, yep. if you have a hard time maintaining lane, right, you're hitting the bumpers a little bit. If you're having a hard time maintaining distance, you're tailgating, you're falling back, or even just maintaining speed, mm -hmm. or maybe that thing that some people experience where all of a sudden they'll think, what happened to the last several miles, oh, yeah. right? Yep. Where was I? Yep. So you're distracted, you're missing exits, you're not paying yeah, attention. Cognitive distraction where your brain's yes. going somewhere else. If it's just going, if it's wandering, these are yep. driving specific signs that you might be a little bit more drowsy than you thought, and perhaps you're bordering on, you know, dangerous amount right. of drowsiness. Especially you're presuming in that case that, you know, you're not Im impaired due to other reasons, right? Mm -hmm. There could be, you yeah. know, often conflicting factors, often there's a multitude of things, but we're oh. gonna use the academic case of where you've been responsible, so you haven't been drinking, you don't have substances exactly. in your system, and this is straight exactly. up. Fatigue. We'll stick to that, but what yeah. I will note quickly is that in instances where you're distracted and impaired, and drowsy, it's probably not just an additive, it's a probably a multiplier, multiplier for right? risk, sure. Yeah, so, but yeah, in, in these situations where you've done everything right, you're just, tired mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're still a, a danger on the road right yeah. you're still you're still engaging in in a risky behavior i'll, I'll note and I, I found this really interesting i know we'll probably get into it a little bit more later but we recently conducted in preparation for drowsy driving prevention week this mm -hmm. year a new nationwide poll and what we found was near universal agreement almost everyone said drowsy driving is risky 95 mm. percent. Mm -hmm. but the majority of us still do it yeah so we know it's risky, but we're doing it anyways. Yeah. Is it one of those things where it's, you know, I know it's risky, but I'm not, I'm not that tired. I know I can do this, right? We fool ourselves into thinking we're capable of yeah. more than we are. It's really interesting that you, that you brought that up. We also asked in the poll, okay, how confident are you in your ability to drive after mm -hmm. zero, one, or two hours of sleep? And we asked that specific number because we have a consensus statement and an expert panel that came out and reviewed all the scientific literature and they said in no situation by no means should anyone drive with zero one or two hours of sleep in the mm. preceding 24 hours mm. so we asked how many are actually doing it yeah not how many are doing it, but how confident okay. are you that you could do it yeah and nearly 20% of drivers said I could do it. Mm. So perhaps it's one of these situations where I do as I say, not as I do Absolutely. sort of situation, yep, yep, right? Yep, like yep, yep. I'm a little bit better driver than you. Sure. I can pull this off, but our experts disagree. Right. No one should be doing it. And on the other side, do the experts have a, is there a minimum? You know, we all should have a X amount of hours sleep. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's X amount of hours sleep in general. I don't know if it's a different number for driving versus just life. It, it actually is. So we can okay. go over both of those things. But our experts, when they put forth this, this consensus statement, this recommendation mm -hmm. to apply to the broad public, zero, one, two hours, don't do it. Right. No way, no how. Yeah. Right? We're not doing it. Anywhere between three and five, our experts were highly cautious, yes, yeah. highly cautious, but they didn't feel that the evidence tipped quite enough to say, don't do it. Mm -hmm. There are individual factors, how much sleep the person habitually gets, right? Someone who sleeps really well, maybe they can go on five hours or four hours. Someone maybe who, who sleeps well and got a little bit less and maybe has a caffeinated beverage. Right. Is it a one-time thing yeah. versus a system? So, so there are some individual factors, but they definitely said use caution and you probably should not. Okay. Six hours and up, they you're said, hey, in a safe zone. You're, you're probably pretty good in terms of sleep, yeah. right? There's all the other factors. Right. But the interesting thing, so that in between that intermediary level, three to five hours, we also asked in our poll, hey, what about three to four hours? Mm -hmm. How confident are you? 40% of people said right. I can do it. Right. Three to four hours. This is, 
And that's and not yet, a healthy amount of sleep. I'm, I bet a lot of them also said it's still risky. Oh, so I mean, even though they can do it, yeah. they still know that not everyone else. I mean, right? <laughs> Rewinding, ninety-five percent of people said drowsy driving is risky. Yeah, in general, right? It's risky. It's either extremely or very risky. But then you have responses like this: forty percent of people say I could yeah, do it with three okay to four. If you don't feel drowsy after three to four hours, then you know a trick that I don't. Right. And I'm a licensed clinician who, you know, specializes in sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. One of the things you mentioned was the strategies if you find yourself yes. in drowsy. So, so, I mean, so many of us have been in that situation, oh, so many. you know, especially on the longer road trips, mm-hmm. you know, you may not even, you might've had enough sleep, but it doesn't yeah. mean that by the end of that six, eight, 10 hour road trip, it's not yeah. kicking in. You're like, oh, I got to push through and just get there. Right. Right. Um, so the strategies, I think, I think the first thing that we recommend is get a good night's sleep before you get behind a wheel, right? That just feels like the, the right. groundwork, but I need to say it out loud. Yeah. Get your sleep. And I guess right? the, the second obvious one would be if you don't have enough sleep, don't drive. Don't right? drive. <laughs> if you notice any of the warning signs, they're warning signs for a reason because yeah. it's a dangerous situation. So we want people to pull over in a safe spot. Mm-hmm. Even a 20 or 30 minute nap can be, you know, energizing, can help you Do those push work? Through. The old they fashioned can. cat nap? Is, they that, can. is that a thing? They is can. it scientifically proven? It's they, not a, they, you know. They can. Well, well, I'll say regarding the science, right? Yeah. It's, it's a hard thing to study in the real world, right? Let me, let me get you really tired on the road and then just pull over for 30 minutes. Right. So we have more, you know, uh, laboratory controlled sure. sort of settings. But a 30 minute nap can result in increased alertness, increased yeah. awareness. So basically pull over and do what you can. Power nap if you can, right? Um, mm-hmm. Some people call it that. Get out of the car, stretch, get mm. the blood flowing, Some walk, oxygen, yeah. right? All of that sort of stuff. Call someone to come get you. Obviously, if you're, you know, 10 hours from your final destination, sure. that's a hard ask. But at the end of the day, it's a better thing to do than to continue to, you know, put yourself and others right. at danger. Um, but the other thing that we always suggest is to be proactive, to plan ahead, right? So, Plan your trip, these long trips, so that you can stop every two hours or 100 miles. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just, like I said, to stop, get out and stretch, you know. We've all been there. I I drove two hours to be here, right? I stopped halfway through. I have two young children, so I felt like I needed to do it. And it was a good time to do it, so I stopped halfway. I stopped after one hour, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, maybe because I'm a little bit more self-aware. You didn't have the two young children with you in the car. Not in the car. Not in the car. Then you're stopping every, you know... Every 30 minutes, they need someone's never, everybody's got to go to the bathroom at a different time. Yeah, I I wouldn't make a joke that it's impossible to to get too drowsy when you have two young ones behind you, right? Truth, yes. But, but, but I don't want to discount the fact that it does happen to people, right? Yeah. So there's all these things, right? Being proactive, planning ahead. Um, One of the things we also say is bring a companion with you whenever you can, Mm -hmm. right? Your Mm -hmm. companion, ideally will not just be over there zoned out, right? Right. That's not, that's not the good road (laughs) companion that you want. You want the person who's going to sit there and engage in conversation with you. It makes the road trip better. Um, but also be aware of these warning signs themselves so they can watch and they can share the load. They can, you know, you can switch and you can alternate back and forth. That's always a great thing to do. Now you mentioned calling someone to pick you up and you mentioned engaging with a passenger. Mm -hmm. What I've heard often, even, and we have a extended family member who is an overnight postal worker, mm. and she was telling me at an event a couple weeks ago that every night when she's driving home after working that overnight, she calls a different family member who's getting up to start their day mm-hmm. to help keep her awake while driving. I'm like, well, it sounds like you might be trading one risk 
for another yeah, risk with yeah. that cognitive distraction of a yeah. phone conversation, which science has shown is different than a conversation with somebody in the passenger yes, seat. Yes, yeah. Have you guys, you, I mean, you purposely did not mention that strategy of talking yeah. to someone on the phone while you're driving. Yeah, no, I mean, using a phone is, is distracting, yeah. right? And the whole hands-free thing, I think they've kind of debunked that. It, it doesn't right, matter if you're your holding brain. it or it's not. Your brain is. You're, you're, not, you're not present, right, right, is what we're both saying. Yeah. So, so that is something that, that we, we purposefully did, left off the yes. list, um, right? If you're feeling so tired that you need to use the phone, you might actually be making the situation worse, it feels like, Yeah. right? Yeah. Pull over and call someone. <laughs> Right, but don't Stop drive and do it. Right there, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, when you're driving a car, I think the big message is that you need to be alert and aware of what you're doing in that moment. Yeah, right. Yeah. Of your surroundings, of the cars, of everything going around or going on, because it's a, it is. We don't think of it like this, but I mean, you're sitting in a car that's traveling at you know fast yeah. speeds yeah. with yeah. other motor vehicles all around. It, it is a dangerous situation. Yeah, we just do it so often that it feels routine. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Now, what about the classic stop and get a cup of coffee? Does caffeine really do everything we think it does when it, com when it comes to preventing drowsiness? We all know, yeah. you know, I'm not asking you to be a caffeine expert in addition to your yeah. sleep degree, but, yeah. you know, yeah. talk yeah. to me about, you know, in terms of drowsy driving, how much is that cup of coffee really going to make a difference? Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you asked. It was something that I actually... Um, forgot to mention but it is something that we recommend you know you can pull over and have a caffeinated beverage and this can help you know in the short term to kind of push you through to mm -hmm. maybe the finish line there are a lot of variables in play here a lot and i am by means no caffeine expert <laughs> but having expertise in sleep these right. fields naturally intersect right so the more often and more frequently and higher higher consumption of caffeine that you take in naturally the less, I think, immediate response you're going to have to a cup of coffee, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. The 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 lower levels that you drink on a regular basis, a cup of coffee might do a little bit more for you. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, they've done really interesting studies where like habitual coffee drinkers and habitual non-coffee drinkers, there's no difference in their alertness level, generally speaking, mm -hmm. right? You get used to both of these situations. Right. But in the instance of I'm tired. I need to pull over. If you pull over and you see a uh, Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks, I don't know if I should be mentioning brand names. Yeah, well, maybe we'll get a deal. <laughs> we'll see. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> if we do, please contact the National <laughs> Sleep Foundation. Uh, right? Maybe some caffeine could help you. Yeah. It's perhaps. And maybe even just having the warm beverage. Right? Something. Something. Right. Pulling it's over. It's about getting that blood yeah, flowing. Yeah, Whatever exactly. You're, blood you're rolling down the window. You're going to get a coffee out of the window. Or yeah. you're going to walk into a, into a, you know, corner store or a gas station. So you're yeah. going to do something. So it could be a multitude of reasons that this could perhaps be beneficial. Yeah. it's good. Yeah. So you mentioned, so we talked about, there were four categories you kind of went through earlier and I want to make sure we hit all of them mm -hmm. uh, warning signs what to do remind me of those other two could have been you know how to how to just achieve your best you know sleep that you can so let, let's go there because that let's I think is there. something that's bigger than just drowsy and driving and yeah. maybe kind of expands into understanding yeah. the National Sleep Foundation which I also you know want to get to yes. but let's talk about healthy sleep it, yes. there does seem to be a um What's the word? There's more focus on this in the culture now yes. than I think there has been in many years, mm -hmm. right? And everyone's got, there's a gazillion apps where yes. you can track your sleep and you can wake <laughs> up in the morning from, you know, yeah. whether it's your iPhone or rings that people wear, yeah. the smartwatches. I'm sure you know all of them more than I do. But it's evidence that it's it's more present in the culture yeah. than 
likely ever before. Yes, yeah. There, there has certainly been a cultural shift in recent years. I would say maybe going back a decade or so, right, where all the different devices started to come out. Mm-hmm. We call them wearable sleep trackers, consumer technology, all these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and they're nice. And, and I, I think everyone appreciates the increased awareness, right? Sleep is vital. Mm-hmm. I always say if, if sleep is not critically important for everything we do, it was the biggest evolutionary misstep that we ever had as humans right um because essentially you're you're you have a situation where for a third of the day you're at your most vulnerable you can't run away from a prey or anything else so you know that this has to be important if we've been doing it right <laughs> never thought of it yeah, that way right That's pretty funny yeah super important activity linked to a ton of things cardiovascular health the american heart association just came out and added it to their one of their essential pillars of Mm. of heart health right so it's very important your mood your social interactions everything we do and as you noted you know more and more awareness largely i think you know pushed by consumers Mm -hmm. everyone wants to know how are they sleeping yeah let me strap something on (laughs) i'm a i'm a clinical psychologist so um I like to say that the, the end all be all should be, well, how do you feel, right? Okay. It, it's fine that a watch or a ring tells you something, but if you right. feel good, I'm gonna go by what you say first and foremost. Right. First and foremost. But yeah, so sleep is important. We know sleep is important for a ton of things. And then you have a group like our group, the National Sleep Foundation. We've been around for over 30 years. We're a nonprofit, so we're not out there creating devices right. or doing anything like this. We're, we're, we're giving information for free to the public, mm-hmm. and we have been for decades now. Um, the whole goal, the mission of the National Sleep Foundation is to improve health and well-being through sleep education and advocacy efforts. Mm-hmm. And then we have a promise on top of that. Our promise is to help anyone and everyone be their best slept self. Hmm. There's a difference between just tracking your sleep Right. And then what do you do with it? Yeah. Right. What are some actual steps I can take? Developing those habits and yeah. those practices. What to can get I good do? Sleep. What can I do? Exactly. So we recently came out with a, um, a framework. We, and we call it the best slept self framework, hmm. which includes three small daytime tips and three small nighttime tips. That's it. Right. Easy things that almost anyone can do um, that, you know, if done on a regular basis, Mm-hmm. can help improve your sleep. Now, I'll be the first one to say that um, I don't do all these things, sure. right? It's difficult. I think we all understand that that changing habits and making things part of your routine mm-hmm. can be challenging. But any steps that you take towards the goal of sleeping better is likely to result in, you know, not just better sleep, but but better daytime functioning, better interactions with spouses or kids or sure. coworkers. Because you're less irritable, you're happier, you're more You can positive. pay attention it's, more, it's, all it's, these yeah. sorts of things. You're healthier, your immune system, all these yeah. things. Yeah. So in terms of the daytime tips, yeah. easy things to do. Try to get outside and get a little bit of bright light, mm. especially in the morning hours. If you can't get natural daylight, yeah. equally bright indoor light, right? So for those listening, we're in a very dimly lit, uh, you know, conference room right now. You made it sound a little romantic there, but yeah. I don't know if I'd go that far. There's some lights coming in. Yeah, we got some, <laughs> there, some windows, there but are, yeah, yeah, but yeah, this yeah. is not the level of brightness that I'm talking about, right? Fair enough. Fair right? enough. So you want some bright light in, in, the, in the early hours. The next one's a big one. Get regular physical activity. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes a day, five days a week, right? Physical activity, I equate on the same level as sleep. Sleep, diet, physical activity, like these are all just things that are just good for everything. Yeah. Right. So if you're a little more active, you'll probably sleep a little bit better. 
for a whole host of reasons. And then this next one's really interesting. Eat your meals at the same time every day. Hmm. It kind of helps your body set into a rhythm, mm -hmm. right? Our bodies have internal clocks that um, if we start to do things at the same time each day, including going to bed and getting out of bed, these clocks become a little more regular, a little stronger in the signals that they're mm. sending, and things just come about easier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So three daytime tips. Bright light, more activity, eat your meals at the same time. Okay. Three evening tips. Don't eat those meals right before bed, right? So avoid things before bed. Avoid heavy meals, avoid caffeine, nicotine, mm -hmm. and alcohol before bed. Keep those a couple hours earlier in the morning. Well, that's what I was gonna ask you though. Or early in the evening. Well, yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask you that. What is, what is that window between when should be that last, because there's a lot of different theories on diet yeah. and metabolism and intermediate yeah. fasting versus always keep the metabolism going. Mm -hmm. And if you're awake, you should keep that machine yeah. running. Yeah. You know, from a sleep perspective, what has your group science found in terms of, you know, that last meal, whether it's even if it's one of those small grazing meals to keep mm -hmm. the metabolism going should happen X hours before bed. Yeah, the, the small grazing ones are Less okay. That's okay. It's the, it's the heavy ones. The heavy ones kind of put a toll on your gotcha. body. Steak, you're, potatoes, giant glass of red wine. Try don't to go do sleep that. 30 minutes later. Don't do that. You're going to have You want trouble. that a couple hours before yeah. bedtime. But, you know, a, a complex okay. carb before bed, that's fine. That'll, that'll keep you from waking up hungry. Mm. So it's, it, you know, there's some complications here. Sure. Well, it's all but about the balance. It's all about the balance. Generally, keep everything heavy, all your big meals, all, any, you yeah. know, drinks, caffeine well earlier into the day, but your alcohol sure. a couple hours beforehand, everything a little bit earlier, you know, in the evening. Don't do it right before bed. Your body, your digestion, your body's just working hard. Yeah. And at night, you, when you're sleeping, you generally don't want your body to be working hard. You yeah. want it to be relaxing, yeah. to yeah. be repairing and, and, you know, give you that restorative sleep. The other thing, and this one's a little bit complicated because to keep it to three nighttime tips, we, we put a couple things together <laughs> into the next one. I'll be the first to admit. Use some and in the yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. There might be some commas coming. <laughs> we want everyone to have a consistent, relaxing wind down routine before bed mm. that includes going to bed at about the same time. Mm -hmm. And you should allow yourself seven to nine hours of sleep. So that's the, the general type of window that you mm -hmm. want. We use that window because um, similar to our drowsy driving kind of consensus recommendations, we also have sleep duration consensus statements. Most adults, 18 to 64, should be getting seven to nine hours of sleep a night. That's healthy sleep. That's mm -hmm. good sleep. Older adults, 60, 65 and up, it's a little bit less, seven to eight oh, really? is considered okay. healthy. Teens who are more prone to drowsy driving. Yeah. And one of the reasons is their amount of healthy sleep, eight to 10 hours per night. Wow, and they are the ones likely getting the least sleep of all of us. They're the ones who are having to wake up at, you know, depending, we're in, we're, I've got two of them, I know. You know, during daylight savings time, it's, um, it's dark for like three hours after they wake up. It's horrible. Um, so, but, but. And they're naturally night owls. Yes, yes, Teens yes, are yes. naturally, you know, you talk about that, the, the body clock. Yes. They want to be up till one, two, Their three clock in the morning. is shifting later. School times start Earlier. absurdly early. And then you had daylight savings on top of it, which yep. shifts everything in hours. So, so it's, you don't even have that natural light part. Yeah. Of it. it's, it's, it's really, and so. then they're the ones that are the most risky drivers to begin to with. begin with because they're less skilled absolutely um so it's 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 wow. a that's really a it's an intersection yeah. of of bad circumstance yes. that, that sets well it up said. for a teenager to yeah. to have an accident or to to you know 
succumb to drowsy driving and all these other things. But generally, good, relaxing, wind-down routine that occurs at about the mm -hmm. same time and allows you to get seven to nine hours. Okay. So that's all tip that's two. number two. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, we had a little, you know, some it. commas and that's some ands in there. That's great. Um, the next one, the next one's much simpler, though. We want everyone to make their bedroom environment as conducive as possible to sleep. So think cool, quiet, and dark, mm. right? As dark as you can make it, as quiet as you can make it, and um, the temperature in the in the upper 60s range. Good. Warm, and I'd, my kids would love if I kept it that warm at night. They always <laughs> tell me it's too cold. <laughs> yeah. so, so there you have three daytime tips, three evening tips. We go into much more detail on our website. I'd love to, Please. to plug it if I yeah, could. Yeah, of course. The... T-H-E, the NSF, National Sleep Foundation, NSF.com. Lots of details, lots of sleep tips yeah. and tricks, lots of great information about drowsy, drowsy driving generally. Yeah. So I want to, one of the tips that's not on there that I would have expected, because there's always a lot of attention about this, is being off devices and electronics yeah. in a certain window before going to bed. I would say that that's probably actually included in that second one in with the, the relaxing okay. wind down routine. Well, and some would argue, you know, <laughs> yeah. a little a little Facebook scroll, you know, relaxes me after a long day. Yeah, some might argue that, um, <laughs> but I would say some might be incorrect too. <laughs> so here's the, so, so there's, there's an issue, right? The, you, the screens, first of all, when you're looking at a phone or yeah. even a tablet, you're not looking at it from across the room. You're putting it up to your face, face, right? Yeah. So you're getting this intense shot of light at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. Remember, bright light in the morning is good. Low light in the evenings is good for your sleep. Mm -hmm. So you're getting exposed to bright light, and you have that blue light that's, that's particularly kind of stimulating. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then on top of it, I think when you're talking about social media, the issue is also the content, right? So it's not just the screens and the light. It's the content. Mm -hmm. We tend to see stuff on social media that is emotionally triggering. That's why it has, you know, mm -hmm. a million likes or, right, you know, course. all these comments, mm -hmm. right? They want you to react. They want yeah. a reaction. Yeah. So you're seeing stuff that, you know, is just kind of stimulating in, in content. Mm -hmm. So generally, yeah, it's, it's built in here into some of these, you know, compound sentences yeah sure with the relaxing routine we don't consider that relaxing also keeping your bedroom conducive to sleep dark quiet yeah holding your phone up to your face generally not that we don't even want you to have your phone near your bed i mean truthfully you should be charging it someplace else mm. so the, the, the charger on the nightstand it's generally a better, bad better idea better be left in the kitchen yeah yeah i mean even a little bit of light can be disruptive to your sleep so mm -hmm. that little bit of light coming off or the fact that when we keep it there i know i'm guilty of this Sometimes, especially when I have deadlines or big things coming up or, you know, want to check mm -hmm. the score of something, I'll look at my phone in the okay, middle of the night. Yeah. Even with the do not disturb on. Yes. You say, well, I'm awake. Let me just check Let me it. just see. So here it's a shot of bright light and you're looking at it for content. Yeah. And then your brain is right. Activating. It's generally not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, let me, I want to go back to a couple of the, the other points. One was the uh, consistent schedule. Mm -hmm. So... Does that mean the sleeping in on the weekend is dangerous because it throws it off? Or no, it's a small enough exception. Staying up a little later, sleeping in a little bit on the weekends yeah. and back to your work yeah. week. I mean, how much of that is I think, around the edges versus, no, you really should yeah. keep it consistent. Generally, we're not recommending for anyone to be robotic. Yeah. Right? And I think the answer probably varies depending on whether you have poor sleep or you don't. Mm -hmm. Right? 
people who sleep well generally have more flexibility to modify things. But if you're already sleeping poorly and then you start shifting your schedules around, you, you could just worsen an already bad situation. Yeah. I mean, we're, if we're talking about shifting half an hour, an hour, that's not a yeah. huge deal. But again, if, if someone has a problem sleeping, stay yeah. consistent, yeah. stay consistent. It's Until you, very, you get into a rhythm yeah, of better sleep. It's very, very important. That, that internal clock of our body, letting it come to expect when to wake mm-hmm. up, when to go to bed, all these sorts of things. Just you, you want your, your worlds to align. You want your, your internal clock to align with the outside world, with the bright and the dark mm-hmm. cycles. And for sleep just to come about naturally yeah. is the best case scenario. When you start shifting around, it can be a little bit more complicated. Having said that, like I said, I'm I'm not one who's going to sit here and say, hey, don't go out with your friends yeah, on Friday course, night. Of course, of course. Don't enjoy a little bit more. Don't, don't but also s- then don't don't be surprised when you're maybe not as rested the next day. Exactly. You know, know, the, you, know your choices. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm a big believer in informed decisions, <laughs> yeah, right? right? Make a decision, but make it knowing that, sure. okay, this might have a small impact, don't but I'll deal with it. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'll deal with it. And then if, if I'm not sleeping well, I know what I can fix. Yeah. Now, I'm just taking advantage of having your expertise in the room here. So I have a couple more of these questions because it fascinates me. What, what about this idea of um, catching up on sleep? You know, yeah. I've had a, you know, a few rough days. I'll catch up on my sleep, which is, I've been told, is not, not a thing. You can't really catch up on sleep. Yeah. Once it's lost, it's lost. It's so tough. Um, a lot of these things that we're talking about are things that are um, ever-evolving. Yeah. Right? So... So I'm hesitant to give a response, but I have one anyways. Go for it. <laughs> right? Generally, I usually recommend the same thing that you just said. You can't make up for something that's already gone and passed, right? Because it's passed. Mm-hmm. You can sleep for tonight, but you can't sleep for last night because it already happened. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, there is more recent scientific evidence coming out saying, okay, if, I, if, if I'm not sleeping well and I'm you know, building up a debt, like I yeah. need more sleep. Catching up on the weekend can be beneficial. Okay. Can be. But again, this is kind of like late breaking, really state of the art mm. science uh, where I was still trained clinically yeah. in a time where you can't make up for something that's already happened. Right. Yeah. You can't like unspend a dollar or go back and save that money that mm-hmm. you should have that you that you wish you would have saved because it already happened. Yeah. But you can start fresh. I think that's the thing that you can always do you is know, you can start fresh. Okay. Always bring up that bar to a new starting point. Yeah, yeah. Now, the other piece that I've read over the years is this idea that laying with your eyes closed can be as restorative of that as actual sleep. Yeah, I'm, I, I gave a pause, and I don't know if you caught the look on my face. but um, <laughs> I did. Nobody yeah, else yeah, would. Of have, course. But <laughs> you know, I have to he remember we're on the rolled, radio here. He rolled his eyes at me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so I would say... You know, to put it the most simple way, sleep is sleep and wake is wake, right? Yeah, if you're in a restful state and you close your eyes, your brain waves may start to transition into this very, very kind of stage one sleep. Stage one sleep's not the most restorative sleep we get. You you have to get into deeper sleep to start to get some of the restorative mm-hmm. aspects. Um, so it, it might be um, refreshing. You You might just take that moment to decompress. It can have a lot of benefits, I think relaxing and breathing and staying mindful and you know blocking mm-hmm. things out but it's not sleep yeah. it's not a substitute right that so that's sense. where i would be cautious there's benefits there's there could be definitely there could be benefits but they're not the same benefits that sleep gives Fair you enough. right okay. yeah definitely not the same benefits but by all means right take a moment and, right. and relax and i think even 
even having those thoughts that, hey, I'm here and I'm relaxing and I'm, you know, I'm getting some benefit to this can reduce people's anxiety about laying That's the fact that they're not falling asleep. Exactly. And so in that regard, I think it could be beneficial to promote your sleep, right? right? To lower that anxiety. It's the worst thing. And we've all experienced it is laying in bed awake. Eyes closed or open, doesn't matter, but laying in bed awake yeah, and thinking, it's not happening. I need to be asleep. Yeah. Why I'm not asleep? I have this X, Y, and Z to do tomorrow. I, you know, I have, I have this presentation or that, and yep. I need to go to sleep. And the more that happens, the less likely you are to go to sleep. Yeah. So acknowledging that, hey, I'm still getting some sort of rest. It's not sleep, but I'm getting something that could be beneficial in the sense that it's going to lower your anxiety and then facilitate potential sleep arising. Excellent. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about what NSF does. Mm -hmm. um, who are the members of NSF? It's a nonprofit organization. Yeah. That means there must be members of this organization. So what is that world of that universe that supports and makes up the membership of NSF? It's a great question. And it's um, it's tricky because we actually do not have members. So so well, there you go. yeah. Okay. So so I'll explain it this way. Um, there are other sleep organizations that focus on you know sleep disorders and um, have members of sleep clinicians. I'm, I'm a member of several other sleep organizations, okay. right? Because I'm a, I'm a clinical provider. Um, the National Sleep Foundation, with our mission to kind of help improve well-being and health through sleep for the general public, we don't have members. Our, um, our constituency, the people that we work towards helping, is the general public. So everyone who's listening, you know, is an honorary member, I guess you would say. Um, no one pays dues. Right. Everything on our website is freely available to the public. The things that we do like this to spread awareness and education are all for the greater good of the public. Yeah. Uh, having said that, you know, it's one of the complications of being a nonprofit with a public health mission. We don't have members. So a lot of other member organizations kind of stay afloat because there's annual fees right. and this and that. We, you know, do our best fundraising and raising awareness and just doing out, going out and doing good work. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So you've mentioned a couple of times you're a clinical psychologist by training. Yes. Um, I imagine when that training started, maybe not thinking a specialty in sleep or it was always on your radar. Yeah. Uh, fascinating question. Um, it was on my radar in so much as I thought it would be very strategic, right? To okay. be quite, quite, it was a career you know, blunt. calculation. Yeah. You know, I, I was looking ahead a little bit. And when you go to, you know, get your doctorate in clinical psychology, you, you, you become pretty specialized pretty quick. I'm going to work with children. I'm going to work with adults. I'm going to work with anxiety or PTSD right. or, you know, people with eating disorders. I didn't want to be pigeonholed. So I looked around for something, um, you know, that I thought was a little bit more broad. And I came across a faculty member at an institution I wanted to go to mm -hmm. who studied sleep. And this light bulb went off. I said, well, if I, if I study sleep, Everyone does it. Everyone <laughs> does it. Universal need. It's universal. Not only does everyone do it, but most people do it pretty poorly. Uh, <laughs> and sleep touches everything else, going back to something we, we talked yeah, about we started, earlier, yeah. right? So, like, I, I know a lot about anxiety. Why? Because a lot of people that I've worked with have sleep and anxiety problems. I know a lot about depression and mood because these things so go together. And, sleep problems, yeah. Right? So, so it, was, it, was, it was strategic. And I say that, I mean, I say it in jest, but, it, but there is some, some, some fact to it. Sure. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to be pigeonholed. Um, and, and when I saw that other people were doing this, you know, a light bulb went off and said, well, this is a place where I can go. And then 
Then the truth is, and I think this goes for a lot of people, once you start to read about sleep, think about sleep a little bit more, for lack of a better word, you drink the Kool-Aid. Like, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. such a fascinating area. Yeah. Why we sleep, how we sleep, cultural differences in sleep, just the, the mm. history of studying sleep, how sleep changes across development right, from infancy sure. to middle age to older adults. What happens with retirement? What happens with injury? Sleep and your ability to perform in school or in the military. Like it, it goes everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, we're just scratching the surface is the yeah. truth of it. You said one thing in your list. I mean, we could do a podcast almost on each of those things that you listed. I'm fascinated by this. But one thing that really jumped out at me was cultural differences yeah. in sleep. Yeah. Without us going to another half an hour podcast episode, give me a little taste of what that what that means. That one really... I mean, one of the biggest things that just jumps to mind is, um, you know, are the cultures that still practice siestas, right? Uh, okay. You can't think of a more stark difference between what we do here in the U.S. Yes. And in some other, you know, so societies. Mediterranean style yeah. of the siesta. Of, hey, in the middle of the day, let's stop. Let's get some, you know, rest. And let's get back at, at it afterwards, right? It's just... It's, it's a different level of prioritization. Um, and, you know, there's, there are people out there who are studying, like, okay, the productivity differences in cultures with and without siestas mm-hmm. and, and academic performance for children and, and all these different things. But the truth of the matter is, is that practice probably evolved because of our biology. Almost everyone feels this mid-after day dip. That three o'clock sleep. Right? And, every, and everybody grabs the sugar in America. Right? right? Yeah. In other places... They, they lean into it, yeah. right? But, but that's just one small example of like, you know, just the different, no, that's great. different prioritization and different practices revolving around sleep. There are places where people, uh, you know, married couples might not even share the same mattress and it's a little bit oh, more separate yeah. and stuff like this. Well, yeah, right? yeah, people talk now, they refer to it as a sleep divorce. Yeah, yeah. I yes. mean, not the greatest term, but it's what's kind of been, been out there. People do this. Exactly, exactly. One of our board members at the National Sleep Foundation has a book on couple sleeping. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a fascinating topic, right? A fascinating topic. Sometimes people move out of rooms because they have a sleep problem and, yeah. and they're significant other sleeping well is almost a trigger or an irritant, right? Like what is going <laughs> on over there? Uh-huh. Or it could be the opposite. Someone who yeah. has a, a sleep disorder where they're snoring and right. they stop it's breathing. Keeping and, the other person awake. And so then, you know, all these different things can happen and evolve, but, but there's fascinating things happening in the sleep world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Joe, this has been really fantastic. I especially appreciate you driving up from Richmond to meet me in Anva's headquarters to do this in person. That's, My uh, that's pleasure. a schlep. I appreciate My it. My pleasure. I could practice what I preach on the way here. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? But I want to make sure we, you know, we uh, finish where we started. Is there anything else about drowsy driving or your campaign around sleep first driver alert you really want to make sure is mentioned that we haven't gotten to? Again, you know, just kind of coming full circle, just reiterating the point that drowsy driving is impaired driving, yeah. right? It's it's nothing to be taken lightly. There are serious, serious consequences involved with it in terms of motor vehicle accidents, uh, even those resulting in death. Um, and, and towards that end, again, encor- encouraging listeners to visit our website at thensf.org for more information for tips and, trips, uh, tips and tricks 
We are in the midst of Drowsy Driving Prevention Week, 15 years doing this strong. We look to do it for many more years to come, but please visit our website. We have lots of helpful information. Wonderful. Joe, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. And this week, sleep well. Sleep well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast. Hosted by Ian Grossman. Produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Music by Gibson Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. 